Hi everyone, I'm Tavi Nasir, welcoming you to another episode of Leadership Biz Cafe, brought to you by Tavi Nasir Leadership, our leadership consulting firm that offers leadership keynotes, corporate training, and leadership facilitations. If you'd like to learn more, visit our company's website at tavinasir.com and find out how we can bring invaluable insights and practical tools to improve the way you lead and help your organization succeed in its goals. And now, let's meet my guest for this episode, Maura Neville Thomas. We spend our days sort of flitting from thing to thing, but the, the real insidious problem with that is that it really undermines our brain power because we are only, we're task switching so often that we can't really marshal our resources in a meaningful way in two minute increments. It's become a common reality in our digital workplace that many of us feel swamped with demands on both our time and attention. But is the problem less a question of how we manage our time and more a question of learning to better manage what we pay attention to? That's the idea I'll be exploring further with international speaker and trainer Maura Neville Thomas in this episode of Leadership Biz Cafe. Maura is the most widely cited authority on attention management, in addition to her work on productivity and work-life balance. Her insights on attention management have been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, and Huffington Post, and she's also a regular contributor to the Harvard Business Review. She's the author of three books, including her latest, Attention Management, How to Create Success and Gain Productivity Every Day, which will be the focus of our conversation. Hi, Maura. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Tim. We are happy to be here. And hello to all of your fabulous listeners. So, Maura, to start our conversation today, I'd actually like to start at the end, specifically with something you write in the conclusion of your book where you make the statement that attention management is the single most important skill necessary for true productivity. Now, there's no question that all of us are looking for ways to be more productive. And frankly, in much the same ways we see trends and diets and eating habits, there's always some new shiny object or app that's presented as being the secret to effective productivity in today's faster-paced work environment. So what makes attention management different from all the previous ideas and strategies for how we can become more productive in how we approach our workday? I think it's less different and more collective. So there are a lot of really useful ideas for improving our productivity, things like presence and mindfulness and focus and concentration and managing distractions. And I feel, to me, all of that stuff just sort of synthesized in my brain into this sort of group of collective behaviors, I almost think about it as, you know, healthy living, right? There are so many things. And every and the more you get into healthy living, the more you learn that there is to learn about healthy living, right? And I feel that way about this idea that I call attention management. There are so many ways that we can Unleash our genius is the phrase that I use in the book, right? There are so many ways that we can harness our brain power to unleash our genius. And attention is sort of the central theme of that. But I think when you put all of these 
ideas around brain power and maximizing your brain power and optimizing your performance and being more present and being mindful and getting into flow and uh, maximizing your concentration and your focus, all of these things to me, I just started seeing connections and thought, you know, if we could really put all of these behaviors together, that, um, that to me is attention management. And it's ultimately how to recognize the brain state that you're in, recognize if it's serving you for the moment at hand, and shifting to the brain state that will serve you the best. Hmm, that's really interesting. I like that idea of being attentive or identifying what brain state we're in. And, you know, that idea, actually, while reading your book, too, it was reminded me of something that I was asked a lot, especially when my girls were in elementary school and younger. In some of the conversations I had with people about the various projects I was working on, as well as the different activities I was doing with my girls, I'd often get asked, where do you find the time? It was always a curious question for me as I didn't feel like I had more hours in my day than anyone else or that I was this super productive person. And I think really what was at play here was that it was just a matter of what I chose to focus on and what I chose to say no to and ignore. And I think that's what's so important about your book and its message that it's about when we're more intentional about what we pay attention to on what we choose to focus on, it opens the door for us to not simply get more done, but to live the life we want to live. And hopefully we're meant to live. Absolutely. That's, that's the sort of the nuggets at the, like the kernel, the core. You're exactly right. Right. And again, this is one of these things where when people hear it, attention management, we can intuitively get an idea of what it's about. But I'd still like to, us to dive a little bit deeper into this concept of attention management, Maura. And in your book, and you kind of alluded to it in your first answer, you write about how this evolves a group of behaviors. And again, just to warn people, it's not that often hope for one behavior, set it and forget it, one thing that most people look for because you know, they're overworked and, you know, frankly, I have no time and all that. But as you kind of alluded to, there are actually four quadrants to attention management. So I was wondering, more if you could kind of describe in a bit more detail what those are. Sure. Yeah, the four quadrant model for attention management is really just a, a simplified way to categorize the, the kind of headspace or at least the common places that we can go when it comes to our, our days and our, our work life and accomplishing our, our tasks and our activities. The first state is in the, the, the quadrants are based on the axes of control or effort and attention. So how much, how much control do we have and how much attention do we get as a result? And so in the quadrant of low attention and low control, the quadrant that you have is what I call reactive and distracted. And that is where I think people spend the majority of their days when they aren't intentional. We have so much coming at us that we spend our days in reactive mode, just trying to sort of um, deal with everything as it comes up because if I don't deal with it as it comes up, then I'll never deal with it because there's just going to be so much more waiting for me. As soon as I pause, right, there's just so much more waiting for me. And so 
we spend our days sort of flitting from thing to thing, but the, the real insidious problem with that is that it really undermines our brain power because we are only, we're task switching so often that we can't really marshal our resources in a meaningful way in two minute increments. And so the more we are distracted, the more distracted we will be. And so it just sort of feeds on itself and it creates this really downward cycle that erodes our attention span and erodes our patience and erodes our ability to really apply ourselves in a way that makes us feel satisfied at the end of the day. So low control, low attention is the quadrant of reactive and distracted. When you look at sort of moving along the continuum, if you have low attention, high control, I call that the quadrant of daydreaming or mind wandering. And that seems counterintuitive to people because people say to me, well, my mind wanders without any control. And it can, but often I find that that is rumination rather than really productive sort of mind wandering. The reason that I feel like daydreaming requires more control than it used to is because real daydreaming used to happen in the, what I call the in-between moments, right? Walking across the parking lot or riding an elevator or waiting in line. We have these short pauses in activity and that's when we would daydream. Almost, um, sort of unconsciously take in our surroundings and have insights and make connections and come up with ideas. But those times are gone because now in any positive activity, people reach for their device. And it takes real effort to not reach for your device for most people in those pauses of activity. So that's why I think it's high, high control but low attention because you're not focusing on anything in particular. You're just sort of seeing where, where your brain takes you. Then we have the quadrant of low, um, sorry, high attention, high control. And I call that the focused and mindful quadrant because that is when you are working really hard to really apply yourself and to stay and to concentrate, right? I'm, concentrating on this thing and I'm not going to let anything else interrupt me. So it takes a lot of effort, um, but there's also a lot of attention being directed at that thing. And then if you're lucky, when you stay focused and mindful for a period of time, if you work at it, then you tip into high attention, low control, which is the quadrant of flow. And the reason for that is because flow, once you tip from focused and mindful into flow, it's effortless. You are fully immersed without trying in the task at hand. You're just in it. And the, the hallmark or the, 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 how you know you're in flow is when you're, and you don't know you're in flow. That's the whole point. The, the part of your brain that recognizes yourself in, in time and space, like the part of your brain that says, oh, it's a little chilly in here and it's almost lunchtime and I'm getting kind of hungry and I need a glass of water. And, you know, that chatter that goes in our head that sort of um, that we we sense ourselves, that part of your brain disconnects when you're in flow. And so it is complete and total effortless immersion in the experience, in the conversation, in the task at hand. 
So those are the four quadrants and you know, there are certainly other brain states, but, but loosely they, we can sort of, we can put most places where our head is at into one of those four buckets roughly. And if we can learn to recognize whether or not our brain state matches the experience or the task or the, you know, the thing that we're doing at that moment. And if it doesn't mindfully make a shift, intentionally make a shift, then we can maximize our performance and the way we show up in the world. I really love how you've created these interesting ways to contextualize and frame how we view these different brain states and these different moments of how much we're in attention and how much focus on what we're doing and what's going on around us. And there's actually a few interesting things you mentioned just now in describing these four quadrants of attention management. And the first one I want to delve deeper into is the one you just finished with, which is the idea of flow. Now, when you were describing the quadrant focused and mindful, I think that's where most of us aspire to spend most of our days in. But I think there's something compelling and important to note about being in this state of flow. For example, when I give my talks on leadership, I find that I'm often in that state of flow because I do get these waves of joy flowing over me. In fact, some of the best feedback I've received from attendees is how they share that they could feel like I was having fun up on that stage and they couldn't help but get swept up in that feeling of joy. And when we put that in a context of leadership, I think we can appreciate why this matters because as a leader, you set the emotional tone for your workplace. And if you're bringing a sense of joy to work, as I saw with attendees of my leadership keynotes and training sessions, it can be very infectious. So could you share a little bit more about how do we set up conditions for us to spend more time in this state of flow? Absolutely. And you're exactly right. One of the conditions for flow, or at least the the conditions where flow is more likely to happen, is when you are doing something that you are trained for and good at. Right. So... When you're a speaker and a trainer, you get on stage and that's when you feel at home and you know your subject cold and you love, you're passionate about it and you just sort of enter this, this place, not to say that you're, um, that, that you're not present. I, I think it's the thing is that you're so present and just so in it and you're connecting with the audience and, um, and just having this moment where you're sweeping people along and your enthusiasm, it's a great, it's one of the best, the, to me, it's, you know, the, the thing that's so great about being a speaker and a trainer is that opportunity to have that. But anybody who is trained for something and does it well can experience that state of flow. So that's one of the conditions is that, um, is, like I said, when you're trained for it and when you're good at it, but also, as I talk about in the book, you have to be in an environment that is completely free from distraction because there's no flow in the presence of distraction, right? You can't enter flow. If you were trying, if you were up on stage trying to speak and somebody was heckling you, it makes it a lot harder to get into flow, right? Because you're having to deal with that person and they're knocking you off your train of thought and, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, that's another condition for flow. Another um, component that makes flow more likely is if you are, um, if the task ahead of you 
is is challenging enough so that you don't get bored but not so challenging that you that it's beyond your capabilities because then you'd get frustrated and flow wouldn't occur so those those are some of the conditions when it comes to leadership i think what you said is really interesting and it made me think about how a lot of people don't um aren't aren't intentional about being leaders, right? They come to work to run their company and they've got work, but they don't think about leadership as, as, as a state of being, right? Right. Yes. I'm not coming into work to be the leader. I'm coming into work to do work, right? Exactly. Yep. To do all the stuff that, that has to get done, but they forget that all of their behaviors set the tone for their organization. Their whole team is going to model their behaviors. And so when leaders are distracted, just like everybody else gets distracted and, and spend too much time in that reactive and distracted quadrant, it really has more, it has exponential impact on the organization because People get um, kind of, you know, there's, they, they seem sort of frazzled and, and not really present. And then it sort of speeds up the organization because everybody else kind of models that state. And then we're undermining everybody's, everybody's brain power, right? Everybody's ability to bring their, their to unleash their genius because everything is moving so fast and task switching all the time and so many distractions and everybody's interrupting everybody else and everybody's always on their device, whether they're talking to somebody or they're in a meeting and they're scrolling through their email while they're on the phone. And the only way we can ever get anything done is if we, is, is if we multitask. And really that's just not, um, not only is it bad for the, the team, but without being present, about being a leader, then it really, it really damages the culture. Absolutely. And, you know, I love what you're bringing up right now about this current tendency for us to have to speed things up and do task switching and so forth, because it reflects another common thread I saw in your book. And that is that this idea that attention management is not just about us being more effective when we're working but that we're also making time for our brains to rest and rejuvenate, which is reflected in some ways by that daydreaming quadrant. Now, most of us, as you just said, can relate to that feeling like we're in this state of perpetual busyness, which is why we're no doubt seeing a growing concern around mental health issues in the workplace, not just in terms of employee burnout, but also depression. So in this drive to be more intentional about how we manage what gets our attention, Maura, how do we make sure we're also making time for our minds to relax and wander? It's a real challenge because habit-forming technology, right? Our technology is, is created very intentionally to be habit-forming. Right. And when we – it is designed to steal our attention – because we have our technology around us all the time and because there are so many different types of communication channels that our technology brings us and all of those communication channels are vying for our attention. And so what happens is when we use technology, if we aren't careful, our technology 
is demanding our attention every few minutes. And so when we are at work all day and we get a distraction every couple of minutes, we become habituated to distraction. And, and so distraction is a habit and it's a habit that gets reinforced every few minutes. And so it's not like if you are distracted every few minutes at work by say, you know, your email, most people that I talk to, most of my clients, until they attend my training, end up, they, they work with their email open and downloading all the time, all day long. And, and this is a real, this is a leadership issue too that I, I, we can talk about in a minute. But, but the point is their email is open and downloading all day long and they get an email every few minutes. And so every few minutes their attention is called because most people, not only do they have their email open and downloading, but they have some sort of indicator set, bing, Thing to tell them that they have a new message and so they get distracted every few minutes and then so that distraction they come to expect that distraction and so you leave work and it's not like you can just leave that habit behind at work you have end up having this habit of being distracted every few minutes so even when you don't have your computer monitor open with your email downloading in front of you, you're so used to it that you end up tapping the little icon on your smartphone to check, is, do I have anything, do I have anything, do I have anything? Because you're just conditioned to the distraction, so in the absence of distraction, we find ourselves bored and we seek out a distraction. And so then it erodes your ability to be calm and to be present at home and to leave work behind. I think most people don't plan to work at night they just have this habit of checking their email all day long. And of course, there's always going to be email. There's always going to be work. And so they're just sort of sucked back into their email, maybe unintentionally. And so they, their ability to be present with their family and to have downtime is seriously undermined. Right. And you know, it's interesting that you're bringing this up because I just read a study that I found that in most workplaces today, an employee's attention span or what they're able to focus on lasts for about three minutes on any given task. Gloria Mark. Yeah, Gloria Mark at UC Irvine. She says three, three minutes and five seconds, we switch our attention. And it's incredible. If you think about that, I really want people to think about it. Imagine three minutes and then you're distracted from whatever task it is you're working on how effective you can possibly be. I mean, that's a lot less time than most of us use to microwave our lunches. So that shows you how alarming this situation is and obviously why I think your message is very much needed because the ability of us to manage our attention when we have, as you said, all these technological devices, which in theory we're supposed to be using them to help us be more effective, be more productive, are actually creating the inverse in the workplaces. Yeah, I call that the productivity paradox in the book. It's that we we need this technology to do our jobs, but this technology is designed to steal our attention at the expense of doing our jobs. So, um, but it's really like any other technology. I'm I'm really not a luddite. Um, it's it's you know, every time new technology comes out, it's like oh my gosh, it's going to be the the end of civilization, right? And certainly, every new technology does have its downside. Um, but we, but we're pretty adaptable. We're a pretty adaptable species, and we'll figure this out too. I think. I feel like this. Um, the people alive now are sort of the transition 
um, I'll use the word generation, but I, I definitely mean more than just a single generation, but like the people, you know, from like 19, 1960 to probably 2060, it's going to be the, these people who remember what it was like before smartphones in our pocket are still alive, right? Before internet connected devices in our pocket are still alive. And so we're all just sort of still figuring out how to navigate this world of constant availability. And um, we'll, we'll get there, but we're, we're still in this period of transition where it's like, whoa, how do we figure out how to not let this take over our lives? And to me, that's, that's, that's the most important thing to keep in mind right now is that this technology is great as long as we control it and don't allow it to control us. Great point, Mara. So I'm sure we have now have listeners who are on board with learning how to manage their attention, Mara, instead of trying to manage their time. So based on what we've discussed so far, how can they get started? What are some steps, Mara, that they can take right now to start making this shift so they can be more in control not only of what they spend their time on, but on how they live their work lives. The first thing, so I, I mentioned that distraction is a habit and we can't change a habit that we don't know that we have. All of the habit change experts will tell you that the first um, foundational ingredient is awareness. And so it's really important to take a look and ask yourself, is distraction a habit for me? And if you find yourself distracted every few minutes, the answer is probably yes. <laughs> if you find yourself um, being a little, having a shorter attention span than you feel like you used to have, then the answer is probably yes. If you find yourself being less patient than you used to be, then the answer is probably yes. You have become habituated to distraction. And so it's really important to recognize how often you are allowing yourself to be distracted and even be very conscious of it. Maybe even keep a piece of paper and make, you know, make a slash on a piece of paper with a pencil. There I go again. There it happened again. There it happened again. There it happened again. And once we raise our awareness to how often um, we are being distracted, then we can start to make changes. So what's one step further than just making a slash on a piece of paper is to say, why? Yep, there I did it again, but why? What happened? Did I allow somebody to interrupt me? Did I have a thought in my head? Was it a ping or a zing from one of my devices? What was it that caused me to change my behavior? And so then if you can catalog that, you can recognize the biggest culprit. Is it other people? Is it me, myself? Is it my technology? So awareness and sort of cataloging that is the first step to making some changes, finding out if you really are habituated to distraction. Once you know that, then we have, there's sort of, I guess, three three categories, three buckets that I think of that can distract us. One is ourselves, right? We, we interrupt ourselves all the time. Oh, I just thought of that thing. Let me just do that, right? Um, so our, our brains. The second category is our technology. And the third category is other people. And so we can, the way that we um, stop ourselves from interrupting, from being interrupted by ourselves is 
Um, I, I believe that the key to that is a workflow management process. And I can talk a little bit more about that. But the idea is that most of us interrupt ourselves with something on our to-do list. Oh, I just remembered I have to call her back. And oh, I got to remember that I got to send that email. And oh, I, but I didn't finish the, the, the expense report yet, right? And, and most of us rely on our memory for the most part supplemented usually by lists that we make on paper or in apps and flags in our email and sticky notes and projects on our dry erase board and lists on the refrigerator and all these places that we keep things that we need to do. But what that really means is that we were, are relying primarily on our memory. And so when we rely on our memory um, to, to catalog and track all of our responsibilities, that becomes pretty overwhelming. And so we interrupt ourselves by, don't forget that, and don't forget that, and I gotta do this, and should I do that now or later, and making all these decisions all day long. So a workflow management system is the answer to silencing our internal distractions. And then dealing with interruptions from other people, which is the sort of second bucket that interruptions come from, distractions come from, that's where we need to exert some control over our environment. So how do you, how do you let people know that you would rather not be disturbed, right? A lot of us work in open offices now, they're loud, there's always people walking by, drop-ins, hey, you got a minute. And it doesn't matter how much, I call it, I think of it as brain power momentum, right? It doesn't matter how, how much concentration, how much brain power momentum you've got built up around a task. As soon as somebody taps you on the shoulder and, or uses your name, hey, Tamri, do you have a second? It doesn't matter how much momentum you have, it's gone, right? Poof, gone. And so we need to exert some control around our environment to let people know when we would rather not be disturbed. And we have to have that time because otherwise the distractions are just going to run over us all day long and rule our days. It's not going to be like, well, when everybody leaves me alone, that is when I'll actually get some work done. <laughs> but unless you make that time, it will or create that opportunity, it will never happen. And then the third bucket is our technology. And that, I mean, we've all seen that kind of advice, but right, we have to exert control over our technology by using do not disturb and airplane mode and turning it off and silent, not vibrate and putting it in the other room and shutting off all the push notifications and, and um, just exerting some control. None of us went and bought our smartphone so that everybody in the world can interrupt us all the time. And yet that's how we behave. So those are the three, the three buckets and some sort of solutions to go with them. Interesting. Some really great food for thought there, Maura. And definitely over the course of our conversation today, a compelling reason you've given us for us to rethink how we should approach work and to realize how some of the changes brought on by technology, as you just mentioned, have made it more difficult for us to truly focus on what matters, which honestly, I think needs to be said because I think it allows us to give people permission to not feel bad about their performance or work lives. But Instead, to recognize that we need to make changes like the ones you've described in our work environment and how we approach work so we can not only have those desired moments of being focused and mindful, but hopefully also have those moments of flow and with it, joy in what we do. So thank you so much, Maura, for coming on my show and helping my listeners learn how to be better at managing their attention. This was just really fascinating. It's been my pleasure, Tamir. Thanks so much for having me. I've been talking to Maura Neville Thomas about her latest book, Attention Management, 
how to create success and gain productivity every day. To learn more about Maura's work, check out the show notes for this episode on our podcast page at tavernasir.com slash LBC. And that's a wrap for this episode of Leadership Biz Cafe, brought to you by Tavernasir Leadership. Looking for a keynote speaker or corporate trainer for your next event? Then visit our company's website at tavernasir.com to find out how we can bring these kinds of insights to your organization, either at an upcoming conference, leadership retreat, or for a corporate training event. Now, if you'd like to share any questions or comments you have, just go to my website and fill out our contact form. And if you've been enjoying my podcast, I'd appreciate it if you could show your support by sharing this show with a colleague or with your team. One easy way to do that is to send them to our podcast page at tavignasir.com slash LBC, where they will not only find all episodes of this show, but links to subscribe on various platforms, including iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. By letting others know about this podcast, you can help us continue to bring more of these insights into how you can succeed at leadership. And with that, I'm Tamar Nasir, and you've been listening to Leadership Biz Cafe. Leadership Biz Cafe.